bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 8, 2016. Tomorrow marks 20 years since the Novogratik website was launched on March 9, 1996. The website is a one-stop shop for tax credit industry news, regulations, guidance, and more. And I'm happy to announce that we will soon launch an updated version of the website. So please stay tuned for that. Moving on to this week's podcast, we'll start off with the general news section, where I have an update for you on the presidential primaries. I'll also discuss how the IRS's new partnership audit provisions could affect tax credit partnerships. In our localizing tax credit section, I'll discuss what HUD Secretary Julian Castro had to say at a hearing last week about the president's proposed budget increase for HUD. Then, I'll discuss new regulations regarding utility allowance guidance and how property managers can make sure to remain in compliance. After that, I'll share an advocacy letter that urges lawmakers to expand the low-income housing tax credit. In new markets tax credit news, I'll have the important details CDFIs need to know about the CDFI Fund's new annual certification report. I'll also share the CDFI Fund's latest new markets tax credit qualified equity investment issuance report. Then, in our historic tax credit section, I'll talk about highlights from the National Park Service's annual report and analysis on the Federal Historic Tax Credit. And we'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll summarize a report on how expanded tax credit programs through the Recovery Act helped increase clean energy investments across the country. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the presidential primaries are in full swing. Super Tuesday is behind us, and the March 15th date, marking the allowance of winner-take-all states, is only a week away. More than half of the available delegates have been awarded in both the Republican and Democratic races. Today, Hawaii will host its Republican caucus. Idaho will hold its Republican primary. And Michigan and Mississippi will hold their Republican and Democratic primaries. So where do candidates stand going into today's contests? On the Republican side... After Saturday wins in the Louisiana primary and the Kentucky caucuses, Donald Trump continues to lead the Republican field. He has roughly 384 of the 1,237 delegates needed to clinch the nomination. But it's not a runaway victory yet. Aided by wins on Saturday in the Kansas and Maine caucuses, second-place candidate Ted Cruz made significant gains. He now stands at approximately 300 delegates. Still, hanging on in third place, Marco Rubio on Sunday picked up his second win this season in the Puerto Rico primary. Rubio now has 151 delegates. In the fourth place, you have John Kasich with 37 delegates. Now, as you've heard, Ben Carson has dropped out of the race. And there are still a handful of other delegates that are awarded to other candidates that have since dropped out of the race. On the Democratic side, 2,383 delegates are needed to win the nomination. 
with a Saturday win in the Louisiana primary, front-runner Hillary Clinton is nearly halfway there, including her superdelegates. She has more than twice as many delegates as Bernie Sanders, 1,130 to his 499. Sanders had wins Saturday in the Kansas and Nebraska caucuses and Sunday in the Maine caucuses. As I mentioned, Hawaii, Idaho, Michigan, and Mississippi are holding contests today. You can subscribe to my Twitter for updates. My handle is at Novogratik. And be sure to check out our Notes for Novogratik blog to read about tax credit use in each of the primary season states. In other news, the IRS last week requested comments on the new partnership audit regime enacted as part of the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015. These audit provisions are intended to make the IRS partnership audit process more efficient by assessing tax at the partnership, not the individual taxpayer partner level. The provisions are projected to raise $9.3 billion over 10 years, and that revenue was used to partially offset the cost of increasing the spending caps in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015. These changes pose challenges for the affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy communities, given their extensive use of partnerships. This new audit approach will replace the prior approach where partnerships designated a tax matters partner, or a TMP, who is a current partner in the partnership, and that TMP is to represent the partnership during an audit. It's the TMP's job to enter into settlements with the IRS and notify all the partners. This new regime eliminates this tax matters partner position, and instead, the partnership selects a representative who does not have to be a partner in the partnership. The representative will work with the IRS in audit proceedings and has the power to bind the partnership on the determination. So what are the potential challenges to the tax credit community? Well, there are many, and many questions remain to be answered, such as what is the impact on the calculation of the tax if the partnership has tax-exempt partners? Also, if liability is assessed at the partnership level in the current year versus the audit year, There's a risk to new investors that are acquiring tax credit investments from existing investors. And it remains to be seen to what extent this potential audit risk could cause in terms of investors potentially delaying or stopping secondary transactions from closing. Further analysis and guidance is needed from the IRS. Now, the good news about these provisions is they don't generally go into effect until 2018. This should give the tax credit community a chance to request appropriate guidance and analyze the possible impacts. Now, the new provisions are outlined in IRS Notice 2016-23, and comments on the new rules are due by April 15th. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the new audit regime and how it affects tax credit partnerships, check out my notes from Novogratic blog. And you can purchase a recording of the Novogratic New Rules for IRS Audits of Partnerships webinar at www.novaco.com. In low-income housing tax credit news, the IRS and the Treasury Department last week published amended regulations for utility allowances in low-income housing tax credit properties. The final regulations will affect the maximum rent that low-income housing tax credit building owners can charge tenants. The regulation concerns utility costs paid by low-income housing tax credit tenants if 
Those costs are based on actual energy consumption. It specifically applies to units that are sub-metered. In those units, tenants' actual utility consumption is measured rather than being estimated. The final regulation largely adopted the guidance that's found in IRS Notice 2009-44. And the regulation comes nearly eight years after the IRS amended Treasury Regulation 1.42-10 to make it appear that sub-meter projects were not allowed to use a utility allowance. Last week's final regulation says that the utility costs in sub-metered units are to be treated as if they were paid by the tenant directly to the utility. Because of that, owners are able to use a utility allowance when setting maximum rent. If using a utility allowance, owners do not need to track actual utility charges to tenants. Actual charges for utilities paid to the owner plus monthly rent may exceed the rent limit. My partner Thomas Stagg in our Seattle office says that this will remove the uncertainty surrounding sub-meter projects and help encourage tenants to conserve utilities since they will be billed for actual consumption. The IRS and Treasury also issued a temporary regulation that extended the principles of the regulation to locomotive tax for properties where the energy is acquired directly from a renewable source, that is, rather than from a local utility provider. The temporary regulations state that the energy does not have to be purchased from a utility company. Tenants can purchase renewable energy directly from the owner of the renewable energy installation, and owners can use a utility allowance when setting rents. Now, if you have any questions about this new regulation, and you likely might, please contact my partner, Thomas Dagg. You can learn more about utility allowances and other compliance issues at our two-day Novogratic Online Local Housing Tax Credit Property Compliance Workshop. It's going to be held next month, and it's going to be April 19th and 20th. You can register at www.novoco.com. In other affordable housing news, HUD Secretary Julian Castro last week testified at a hearing on HUD's proposed budget increase for fiscal year 2017. Castro was the sole witness at the hearing for the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Transportation, Housing and Urban Development, and Related Agencies. President Barack Obama's proposal for fiscal year 2017 requests $48.9 billion for HUD. That's an increase of $1.9 billion above the enacted level for the previous year. Castro said that 85% of the budget would fund rental assistance for 5.5 million households. The proposed HUD budget includes $20.9 billion for Housing Choice Vouchers, which is an increase of $1.2 billion over fiscal year 2016. Castro said the increased Housing Choice Voucher funding would help 2.2 million families move into neighborhoods with better schools, safer streets, and more jobs. During his remarks, Castro outlined another priority in the President's budget, expanding the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. The RAD program allows public housing and HUD-assisted units to be converted to project-based Section 8 assistance. The administration is asking Congress for $50 million to convert 25,000 units under RAD. Also important, the proposal is asking that Congress eliminate the 185,000-unit RAD program cap. Now, other proposals in the President's budget include $2.8 billion for the Community Development Block Grant Program and $780 million for housing and development on tribal lands. Castro said that the requested funding increases would help expand housing opportunities for low-income families. 
Now you can read more about the budget proposal on my notes from Novogratic blog. In other low-income housing tax credit news, an advocacy group is circulating a letter to expand the low-income housing tax credit program. The group is Action, a call to invest in our neighborhoods. The Action Campaign is a national coalition of more than 1,000 organizations and businesses calling on Congress to address our nation's severe shortage of affordable rental housing. More than one in four renter households in the United States, or roughly 11 million households, spend more than half of their monthly income on rent. And only one in four eligible low-income households receives any housing assistance. Increasing the low-income housing tax credit program by at least 50% could drastically change that. The letter states that this increase would support the preservation and construction of 350,000 to 400,000 additional affordable apartments during a 10-year span. The action letter says there is ample developer and investor appetite for the low-income housing tax credit program to support such a large increase. In fact, in 2015, investors paid an average of 97 cents per tax credit. This high pricing means more equity is available for the production and preservation of affordable rental housing. Further, the letter asked Congress to give states the discretion to convert a portion of their private activity bond volume cap to low-income housing tax credit authority. This would allow states greater flexibility in their use of existing resources, and it could meaningfully supplement a cap increase. If you want to sign the letter in support of expanding the low-income housing tax credit, go to rentalhousing.org. The deadline for signing the letter is this Friday, March 11th. In community development news, the CDFI Fund last week launched a new annual certification report for all CDFIs. As you know, all CDFIs must meet their annual reporting requirements in order to keep their certification. The CDFI Fund will begin to send CDFIs new certification letters and reporting requirements. Please note There are two reporting deadlines for the first annual report. The deadlines are April 30th and July 31st of this year, depending upon when a CDFI's fiscal year ends. The certification report must be completed in the CDFI Fund's Award Management Information System, or AMIS. Now, I want to emphasize how crucial it is for CDFIs to file the new annual certification report. Failure to do so could mean loss of certification status and other sanctions. If you have any questions, please contact my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach, California office. In other news, the CDFI Fund last week released its monthly Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report, or QEI report. Among other things, the QEI report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by new market tax allocatees, as well as the amount remaining to be issued. According to the most recent report, About $120 million of allocation authority was issued since the previous QEI report was released on February 3rd. As of March 3rd, the amount of new market tax allocation authority still available is about $1.9 billion. That being said, most of that allocation authority has already been unofficially committed. To read the report or learn more about the new market tax program, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. In historic tax credit news, the National Park Service recently released its annual report, an analysis summarizing the impact of the historic tax credit in 2015. The report found that the National Park Service approved nearly 1,300 proposed projects worth $6.6 billion in rehabilitation work in fiscal year 2015. 
Furthermore, 870 completed projects with $4.5 billion in rehabilitation work were certified. These completed projects created more than 85,000 jobs. On the housing front, nearly 24,000 units were constructed or renovated using the historic tax credit in 2015. This number includes more than 8,000 new, low, and modern income housing units. Historic property owners often pair the federal historic tax credit with state programs. Last year, an estimated 48% of certified completed projects used both federal and state historic tax credits. This report also highlights the success the program has had throughout its lifetime. More than 41,000 projects have been completed using historic tax credits since the program's inception back in 1976. The historic tax credit has spurred more than $78 billion in preservation activity. The report shows the historic tax credit's effectiveness in attracting investment dollars for historic preservation. To read the report and the supplementary analysis, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, a new report released by the White House Council of Economic Advisors highlights how clean energy investments received a boost for the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, also known as the Recovery Act, or ARA. As you know, the Recovery Act was passed to encourage investments during the economic recession. Highlights of the Recovery Act include expanding both the renewable energy production and investment tax credits. Under the program, the production tax credit was extended for three years. The stimulus package also expanded eligibility for the 30% investment tax credit, and the Recovery Act removed a cap on investment tax credits, allowing for small win projects to qualify. ARA also created the Section 1603 program to provide a cash grant in lieu of the investment tax credit. About $90 billion in ARA funding was allocated to clean energy, and since then, clean energy has seen tremendous growth. The White House report said programs funded by the Recovery Act have helped to support 900,000 clean energy jobs from 2009 to 2015. In addition, wind generation has more than tripled since 2008. At the same time, solar generation has increased 30-fold. The study shows how expanded funding for the tax credits and other programs can make clean energy alternatives more economically viable. It's called a Retrospective Assessment of Clean Energy Investments in the Recovery Act. And you can find a copy at www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Before we end, here's a reminder, there's still time to sign up for this week's Novogratic Developer Syndicator Relationship Webinar. The live course looks at developer and syndicator partnerships for developing low-income housing tax credit properties. The webinar is this Friday, March 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Registration is open until 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, and you can sign up at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. 
Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.